This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 367. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Master Master. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Master Marith. <laughs> Matthew Marister. Yes, sir. That's me. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a Mr. Matthew Marister, a Mr. Marister, a Matthew. It's a Freudian slip. You just. You know. <laughs> oh shoot! So a moment ago, before we started recording this episode, Matthew made a comment uh, <laughs> live on Facebook. I might add about his wife that had me spewing my water out of my law of self defense mug <laughs> all over my laptop, all over the table. I have water stuck in the 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 foamy that covers my uh, microphone <laughs> here. <laughs> oh man. So welcome to the podcast. That's a crazy way to start off today. Today's episode is a legislative news update episode. We've got some news stories to cover from on, on a federal basis as well as from across the country from various states. We'll do our state-by-state state speed reload or state roundup as sometimes Matthew calls it. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, we've got some stuff that's going to, you know, we'll, we'll talk about here that personally may affect myself and Jacob and even those uh, most of our employees actually work in this business since most of us are based in Colorado so we got some news out of Colorado uh, and and this one is well I'll get into that uh, we got some stuff out of Florida Louisiana Montana Oregon Virginia and Wyoming there probably could be more but that's what we're going to cover today plus a news story about how the US Supreme Court did not take up the case regarding Remington and the lawsuit from a number of the victims and victims' families from Sandy Hook uh, and what that could potentially mean. And I think that the implications of that could be very large indeed. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of freaked out about that one. That'll be our first story we get to. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, plus, we'll be announcing our winner of our weekly podcast prize giveaway, uh, which is, of course, if you're not familiar, you got to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Make sure you sign up on a weekly basis. That's a rotating door. It's like one of those revolving, you know, spinning doorways, whatever. What do you call that? Revolving doorway? Is revolving that what it's called? Door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're like you, you you walk in and it just keeps moving around and around and around and you can stay on that ride and walk right out if you want. But we want to make sure that you sign up for the giveaway each week. So head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Today's prize winner will be receiving a Tacware TW350 flashlight. Uh, I think they're really cool flashlights and uh, valued at like 50 bucks. So that's pretty cool. Somebody will be winning one of those today. And our next giveaway, what is our next giveaway? I it forgot is, already. Um, oh, it's a one month free of Laser X. Am I wrong? You are right. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so one month free to Laser X which is a really great dry fire training software. So yeah, make sure you sign up for the giveaway. Today's, today's episode is made possible and brought to you by 
LaserX. And the team at laserapp.com, that's where you can learn about the laser or L-A-S-R, laser activated shot reporter or shot reporting. Anyway, something like that. Laser activated shot reporter software, laserapp.com. We've been friends with these guys for years. We've been promoting their products for years. I'm a big believer. I use them and I love them. And the newest release, LaserX, is compatible with virtually any device that's internet connected through its browser. Works really, really awesome. In fact, we just did that with the Shooter Ready Challenge. I just filmed the uh, second challenge of our Shooter Ready Challenge. It's a monthly challenge. If you're not familiar, head on over to ShooterReadyChallenge.com and you'll see me using and demonstrating with the Laser X software. I think this month's challenge was reloads, uh, combat reloads uh, specifically. So really cool software. We love them. Head on over to laserapp.com to learn more. And again, our giveaway for this next coming week, so it'll be announced on next week's Tuesday episode, is for a month free of LaserX. Lifetime uh, licenses are also available in case uh, folks don't know that. You don't have to pay monthly forever and ever if you don't want to. But it is an option to pay pay monthly or only pay for when you use it. Today's other episode sponsor is Guardianation. Guardianation.com. Head on over there and learn about Guardianation. We would love to see you in the nation and to be a part of a really cool community of like-minded folks. One of my favorite things about it as far as membership benefits is our members-only Facebook page Lots of great com- commentary and conversation and topics of discussion and things going on over there in the Facebook members only group, Guardian Nation members group. So join Guardian Nation, join the group, and take advantage of all the other, because that's just like one little benefit, but it's a cool benefit. But there's tons of other great benefits of Guardian Nation. Again, GuardianNation.com. Yeah, check it out. All right, <clears throat> Matthew, let's jump into it. Let's roll. So our first story is U.S. Supreme Court declines to shield gunmaker from Sandy Hook lawsuit. So we knew this was coming. We knew that they were looking at possibly taking up this case. And basically what it came down to is, you know, the Supreme Court, uh, a lot of times what happens is there's basically like three ways that cases that come before the Supreme Court can go. One is they take the case, they hear the case, and they decide on the case. Number two is they may take a case and, and by and sorry by by decide they may like actually make a ruling that's a Supreme Court ruling right like well we think this that's what I mean by that you know decision on that case number two they may hear a case and actually decide no you know what we're gonna send that back down to the lower case or to the lower court and they need to do some things differently with regards to that case. Number three, they may simply not hear a case and say, nope, not interested. We're not taking it up. And that's what they did in this case. So this was a lawsuit filed against Remington Arms Company. And Remington Arms owned by a conglomerate that also owns Bushmaster. And that's that's really, you know, that was a big, big piece of it here because the Bushmaster Rifle is what was used by the shooter at Sandy Hook. And they're basically, so you have victims and victims' families. And by the way, my heart goes out to them, okay? I, 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 and we've talked about that before. Uh, and Sandy Hook uh, affected me tr- tremendously because when Sandy Hook occurred, 
you know, I got five kids at the time. I didn't have five kids, but I have five kids now. But my oldest, my oldest child, my son, my oldest son was uh, just starting kindergarten, I think, or first grade. Around, he was right around that time. He may have been in his kindergarten year or first grade year. I'd have to think about it. But it was very early on. So, so it's kind of that pivotal moment in my life, Matthew. And I know that you're familiar with this, where you're like, "Wow, like I have a child in school," you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> And then you hear about this horrific shooting that where, you know, these were kids that were basically the age of my son. So it was a terrible, terrible thing that happened and shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. The question, though, is should Remington slash Bushmaster be held liable for that? Now, one thing that's at issue here is they're they're pointing at some of the marketing or or advertising that was used, and uh, you know specifically there's actually an image of it's not this article it's in the related article which you'll also see in today's show notes uh, that is titled "What is the future of firearms advertising?" and the author of this article shows a screenshot of an ad that is one of the ads at question. And this is a Bushmaster ad saying, consider your man card reissued, you know, and it's showing this (laughs) AR-15, right? And then if you look and there's finer print there, it says, if it's good enough for the professional, it's good enough for you. Bushmaster, the world's finest commercial AR platform rifle, you know, like, so something about this tells them that, well, they're targeting people with aggressive marketing looking for... I guess, aggressive people. But the funny thing about the Sandy Hook shooting is that the rifle was owned and purchased by the shooter's mother, right? And he shouldn't have really had access, especially since she knew that he had some mental issues, but he somehow did have access. And he grabbed that rifle, shot his mom to death, and then went over to the school and shot up the school, right? So, so, So the whole premise of this lawsuit about the advertising and the marketing surrounding the Bushmaster AR-15 like actually has nothing to do with the actual shooter that used the gun because he just grabbed a gun that his mom bought and she probably wasn't I'm, I'm guessing she wasn't interested in a, in a tagline like consider your man card reissued because it was a female you know what I mean right so but anyway that's the issue at hand here that's the case initially it was shut down but then the I think the state Supreme Court in Connecticut picked it back up. I don't remember all the details. We've talked about it in the last couple of years in the podcast here and there as things have come up and thought it was shut down. And I'll be honest, I thought the U.S. Supreme Court was mm, – I, I thought we'd see something different than we're not going to hear this case. Yeah. You know, because what that basically means is as of right now – I, I a lot of other gun manufacturers are at risk of being sued as well. Now, there is a law, the Protection of Lawful Commerce Commerce and Arms Act that protects these guys. I mean, it doesn't mean that a lawsuit if it proceeds is actually going to win, but it should be something that where the courts can shut it down and say, "No, these manufacturers are protected under the law." Right. Right? And there's a reason for that law to exist. A very important one because it is real, it is possible that with allowing manufacturers to be sued because of horrendous acts committed by people that 
in some cases, illegally possess or purchase these guns. Like, why should they be liable for that? I don't know. Well, okay, I do know. They shouldn't be. <laughs> right. Right? You know, but but this potentially puts a lot of other manufacturers at risk of lawsuits, similar lawsuits. And so maybe, maybe this was something that the Supreme Court said, we're not going to take the, something up like this right now, but maybe they might be interested in taking it up later. But why should manufacturers have to defend themselves against frivolous lawsuits like this? Yeah, and that's the scary thing, right? Like, um, you, you assume that these gun manufacturers are these huge conglomerate companies like Google and all this that have millions and millions of dollars. But the truth of the matter is, they're 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 not like super high, you know, uh, top ten Forbes companies, right? So these types of uh, lawsuits. I mean, imagine if ever if if this was allowed and every single person's family that was affected, uh, either injured or killed in the Las Vegas shooting. How many how many lawsuits? I mean, it'd, it'd be a class action, I'm sure. But like, you know, what I mean, they would be constantly in court defending and spending money on lawyers and, and just to defend against something that I don't think that anybody realistically um can draw a coordinated or, or a straight line from this advertisement directly led to this. It's more of just, hey, we don't like the gun industry. We are going to try to cripple a company or companies, and this is how we're going to do it. And I think that's that's the problem with it. Um, if it was a legitimate, they brought up a case and said, hey, this is this is a hundred percent. We can show that this led to this. Then you know present that case, but not just this, well, you made the gun and you had an advertisement that, you know, sure. I, I, I've seen some Bushmaster ads that I'm like, okay, you're trying to make it seem like, you know, these guys are civilian AR-15s are being used in, in combat. Like it's comparable gun and all this stuff. I, I, I get it, but that's advertising. I mean, if, I, I don't know. It's it. I just think it's. I think it's frivolous, like you said, and I think it's really damaging. So hopefully, this isn't. You know, this doesn't become just a a way to control gun owners and by destroying the gun companies. Yep. Yeah, man. Now there is a pretty interesting. As I mentioned, it was a related article uh, that is posted along with this U.S. Supreme Court story. Uh, written by Amaland editor Duncan Johnson. What is the future of firearms advertising? He talks about as as someone with a marketing background uh, about some. And actually, hold on. Uh, actually, so it's posted. Excuse me, it's not written by the editor. He post. He's the one that posted it, but it's actually written by uh, Josh Claflin or Claflin, who's a president at a, a basically a consulting company, a marketing uh, company. Um, and he he talks about some some ways that businesses can protect themselves a little bit better uh, from being maybe at risk of these types of lawsuits. Uh, so interesting read there. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into great detail on it, but uh, you might just be interested in reading that article, uh, particularly if you own a business or in our, or are in the industry with anything firearms or even firearm training or shooting training related, uh, probably some some good things at least to be aware of or to consider. Uh, you know, so interesting article there. For sure. All right. To, next article 
is from Politico.com, written by Richard Feldman, who is an attorney and government affairs expert. And he, the title of the article is this, I was an NRA lobbyist. <clears throat> I'm not sure that's really saying much. But anyway, I was an NRA lobbyist. Here's my roadmap for gun reform. Um, Matthew, I'm going to let you take the lead on this, but I'm just going to start out by saying this dude is an absolute fud. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, All right, take I'll it away. I'll take the baton. So, just a little backstory. Um, he he starts off the 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 article by saying, you know, he he was involved in in um, lobbying, uh, you know, lawmakers for favorable laws and things like that. And he he meant he thinks back to like in the '90s when Democrats actually, um, you know, w- you know were. Maybe not the '90s. Maybe is earlier around the uh, I'd say like '80s, uh, mid mid '80s, um, where Democrats in Congress were actually pro guns. Many of them, not all of them, but um, they were traditionally more of like, "Hey, we want to uh, conserve, you know, individuals' rights and things like that." They were it, it was you know part of the Democratic platform. Well, obviously, it shifted drastically since then. And so he kind of comes up with a couple of different pillars of his reform plan. The first one is stop saying universal background checks. Um, he believes, or he states his, I, I don't know, he doesn't put any facts. It's just an opinion. He kind of asserts it that most gun owners are okay with universal background checks, which I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not. Um, but I'm sure there's a, a, a good a good uh, number of gun owners that re- that support universal background checks, meaning you know no matter what when you transfer that firearm, it has to go through an FFL. Um, I think it's the wording of the question, and maybe that people don't really know what universal background checks are, and if they're framed in a way that makes it seem like they're going to stop gun violence, they're like, okay, yeah, I'm good for it. Um, so this was it, stop saying universal background checks and. Um, this is somehow going to, um, you know, t- sway gun owners to fall in line with these types of things. Um, it's he he proposes, I believe, um, you know, uh, 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 that if you do follow these, sell a gun through uh, an FFL, then that individual seller would have some sort of protection from lawsuit if that gun were to be used in a crime and things like that, which these states are starting to, you know, those laws and states are starting to well, pop up. So we're going to talk about that from the state of Oregon. There's a story coming up here in a bit during our uh, state speed reload uh, segment. Um, by the way, we have another story from Louisiana, which actually is, written by AWR Hawkins, and I'm a big fan of him. He does a great job, uh, writes for Breitbart. And in his article, by the way, this is the kind of a bit of an irony between the stories that we're covering in today's episode, because we have, we have this one right now that you're talking about on Politico, talking about how, well, my first you know item in my gun reform plan is uh, universal background checks because dang near everybody supports them. And so, yeah, we just need to make them happen, but we need to remove the term universal background checks because it makes people a little bit uneasy. They don't right. like hearing universal mm-hmm. and 
but but basically what he's saying is, yeah, but we want universal background checks with some exclusions or exceptions. But then if you go to we're get we're gonna get to this, okay, a little bit later, the Louisiana story about how the Louisiana uh, governor wants more gu- more control on gun shows. Well, AWR Hawkins at Breitbart.com points out how background checks are a bunch of baloney. Uh, pretty much because especially if your if your aim is we need to reduce gun violence gun you know related violent crime uh you know and, and so our aim is to do that through and one of the mechanisms is universal background checks uh he then highlights i don't know probably 30 some odd incidents where of, of these mass shootings and every single one of them the shooter obtained the gun legally passing a background check from a dealer. Right. Or would anyway. have, even if it wasn't, you know, or would have passed it because there's no prior, you know, uh, history of violence or anything like that. So well, that's exactly the point. Like your background checks here. Here's the thing. Again, I'm like you, I don't buy the statistics that I hear on every mainstream news outlet that say 80 or 90% of gun owners are even in support of universal background checks. You know what, folks, we, maybe we should do our own poll or our own concealed carry.com poll uh, and just ask people, you know, ask our audience, are you in favor of universal background checks? Because I'm willing to bet that it's not 80% of you. <laughs> I don't All right. Think so. <laughs> uh, by the way, I want you know it, 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 if there are if there's anyone listening to this episode today and you are for universal background checks, but yet you're a fan of the podcast, don't take what we're talking about here as any derision towards you. And in fact, I'd love for you to message us podcast at concealedcarry.com because I'd like to hear your side of the story or your side of the issue as to why you're for increased background checks. Uh, but yet you're a pro gun individual, okay? Because here's here's what I'm gonna say, all right? Because if you are for universal background checks, maybe you have different reasons than this. But I'll just tell you this much: they will not do what proponents say they will do. They will not stop mass shootings. They will not stop criminals from getting their hands on guns. This guy Feldman tries to make a case that you know. He talks about how – oh, it's the next point. Sorry, Matthew. I hijacked what you were doing no, here. No, that- His next point – and this is kind of similar in a way, but he says, number two, help stop illegal gun sales. He says rampant trafficking of stolen weapons is another area – uh, that you know of things that we should that we may have common ground with the other side on and be able to tackle the, you know this issue and he talks about how thieves break into homes steal guns then sell their stuff to fences what's a fence Matthew kind of like an intermediary dude that you know you you see some parolee coming in to sell some product you're going to be kind of leery so you kind of sell it to a third party or an intermediary intermediary guy yep. So you sell them to a fence, sell these stolen guns to a fence who's, yeah, an intermediary that can then maybe go and sell it to a pawn shop or to a dealer and not really have a lot of questions asked about it because, you know, like, yeah, anyway. So um, 
All right, so fences take those, and then he says, fences take those stolen guns over state lines, sell them back to dealers who have no simple means of knowing that they are, in fact, purchasing stolen merchandise. When a retailer buys a firearm, he must record it in an Andy acquisition and disposition book. Even if the gun was reported stolen by make and serial number, the dealer wouldn't know it. This guy, Richard Feldman, in this article is proposing that every dealer purchase be automatically run through the NCIC system, then local police, and informed about the pending purchase of stolen property could then question the seller, leading to immediate arrests. So basically every gun that a dealer acquires should automatically be run through a criminal system, you know, the NCIC, and local police records. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. Uh, and then they could know right on the spot if that gun's stolen or not. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. But I'll tell you this much, too. Matthew, maybe you could confirm this for me. Uh, let's say you've got these so-called fences, these individuals that are intermediaries in trafficking of stolen goods. Um do you suppose that if a system like this was implemented, that maybe those fences would just stop selling those to dealers? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think one of the big problems with this, I think if it, if it, somebody will say, well, if it catches one, that's better than nothing. Um, I just, I think these types of things, when you um, look at it, when people's firearms are stolen, oftentimes they don't even have the serial number. They don't know. And so um, it, it, getting it into the system may be delayed. It might be, you know, by the time you find out that your firearm is stolen, uh, you're on vacation, you come home, you call the police, they come, they do the investigation. It could be a month, three months, six months before that item is listed in any database that somebody would be able to pull from and see that it's stolen. So, it, I mean, I would imagine that these guns would are, are would still be sold. Um, they would just, you know, maybe you would catch a few here and there, but it certainly wouldn't stop uh, illegal gun sales. I don't think that it would make a huge impact either. No. And, and this making a big to-do about how this is how illegal guns get out there like this is a weird thing to me because what this tackles apparently presumably is that we will discourage gun thefts because we'll remove the mechanism whereby they can turn those stolen guns into cash mm, yeah but don't buy that gonna, they're because still gonna sell me legally they'll, anyways they'll find another way to move those guns and turn it into cash and secondly this just puts Apparently, stole, according to this guy, stolen merchandise in the hands of dealers that are then turning around and probably selling it to law-abiding purchasers. So what's the problem with that? Like, these are not illegal guns, per se. I mean, stolen, okay, I suppose, right? Like, that's not cool, but, like, it. this is not do, again, what this guy claims it's going to do, that we're going to somehow reduce stolen guns uh by removing this mechanism whereby they sell those stolen guns to get cash. You know, a lot of thieves out there break into houses or into vehicles and steal guns, so they then have a gun themselves to then go use in another, in another crime. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, and it's strange to me because, you know, there's a couple problems – 
in order to arrest somebody or, or, or convict somebody of, of having stolen property, even possessing it, you have to show that they knew that it was stolen. And so if somebody says, hey, I just bought this off of a guy, we don't have universal background checks or I can make a personal sale. I, I bought this from a guy, I'm selling it to you. You're going to arrest me. I didn't know it was stolen. I have no way to check this to see if it's stolen. Um, so there, there's a lot of gray area that I, I believe would end up um, not really because then that, that gun owner, that gun shop is going to have to call the police on, you know, the person who came in there and said, Hey, I didn't know it was stolen. And so they have to, I, I just, it, it just seems to me that this is, I don't see a lot of people stealing guns and selling them to, you know, gun stores to make money. They sell them to other criminals because they know, yeah. you know, it, so it, yeah. this isn't, I don't think that this is a big thing where, criminals are stealing guns and selling them to to a, to a, a store to make money. I, I don't I'm not saying that. it doesn't happen. Right, just, right, right. Just that the, uh, the what this guy is proposing is just it's stupid and pointless and, and tackles very, very little of actual problems that are out there. Number three, remember, not every gun owner is crazy. He talks about red flag laws and basically a lot of what David Feldman, Feldman's proposing is we shouldn't call universal background checks universal background checks because it's scary to gun owners. And the same, he's doing the same thing here. He's saying gun violence restraining orders, cool, red flag laws. Yeah, let's not use the red flag law, uh, you know, phrasing. Um, basically, he's for red flag laws, but doesn't want to call them red flag laws because he knows that it has a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, like I said, dude's a total fud. <clears throat> um, by the way, Brian makes a good point here, commenting on uh, uh, Facebook, says that uh, uh, if you don't know, like you should have your serial numbers, basically. All right, gun owners, you should have you should have your guns and you should know what serial numbers are on those guns. You should have a record of that because if something is stolen, you should be able to report that. All right. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm just telling you from being a police officer and taking uh, crime reports from people, a lot of people don't have the serial numbers of their firearms. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. You ask somebody. That, My nine millimeter it. Glock got stolen. Right. They don't even know the, the, the uh, manufacturer of it. They'll say, uh, hey, what kind of guns do you have? I had a nine millimeter. <laughs> OK. <laughs> you know, nine millimeter. What? Yep. Yep. Ask somebody the their license plate number. Yep. Right. Like unless it's a, 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 you know, private or personalized license plate, they don't know it. So, by the way, by the way, in our concealed carry gun tools app, our free app that we have developed and made available to anybody that has a mobile device. If you want, uh, and it's it's secured behind a firewall and everything, you can keep track of. We actually have this tool called My Firearms. You go into the menu there, you click My Firearms, and you can actually create a record of all your guns in there, and you can create that record at whatever level of detail that you want. But you can have a photo of the gun, you can have serial numbers recorded, you can have other details uh, recorded about that gun, and you can create a record for everything that you own. Uh, some may be wary of doing something like that, but you know, it's just a tool. It's it's handy and it's there if you want to use it. Uh, it's a simple way that you can make a quick record of everything that you own, so you have that information. And if something does happen, if it's lost or stolen, you can very easily accurately report it not only to law enforcement authorities to help in the relocation of that item, but also to your insurance if you have a claim that you need to file there as well. All right cool little tool. Uh, just one of the many features available in the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. 
and then finally, Mr. Feldman talks about learn what assault weapon really means. And he makes a whole bunch of non-points here again. Uh, so this, this, this whole article, blah, 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 blah. I'm moving on. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with him. <clears throat> um, he, he's a former NRA lobbyist and the NRA already still has all kinds of problems. It's clear to me why he's a former NRA lobbyist because he's one of the people that caused a lot of problems with the NRA in the first place is the way I see it. Okay. Bloomberg heads to Arkansas to file for 2020 presidential primary reported at the New York times. Uh, so Michael Bloomberg is, uh, looks like he's dipping his toe into the presidential race. Uh, all signs are pointing that he's going to, uh, get involved in the democratic primaries, uh, for the uh, presidential race in 2020. And so why is this significant? Well, it's Bloomberg and he freaking hates guns. So, so Beto got out, and we're replacing Beto with Bloomberg. Yeah, it's funny because Bloomberg, he was the one, uh, while well, he was a uh, mayor in New York, right? He he was the one that instituted stop and frisk, right? Which uh, had had a an impact on their uh, their crime rate uh, or homicide rate uh, due to firearms during the time, but then subsequently it was rolled back because it was, you know, in, in infringing on people's, um, you know, uh, constitutional rights. And, and it was, uh, it said it was, you know, people would argue that it was disproportionately affecting, uh, uh, black and Hispanic people. Um, so it was rolled back, but that was like his crime is, pride and joy, right? Like this, this, uh, gun control, um, I guess the legislation, it was more, I, I, I think it's more crime control, but what, you know, he spun it into a gun control thing and now he's running for the democratic presidency. And I don't see how he gets in there, um, with his track record. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll applaud him for not liking guns, but everything else, I think he's, he's kind of troubled in, in the democratic party, but We'll see. Yep. Yep. All righty. Now we get to a story that is near and dear to my heart mm -hmm. uh, because this is dealing with stuff in Colorado here. Now, th this is actually part of our state speed reload stories, a uh, little segment here where we're going to kind of rapid fire, go through a bunch of more state level issues um, but might spend just a little bit a little bit more time on this one because it's personal to me um, <clears throat> 9news.com which is a local NBC affiliate here in in our in the Denver metro area uh, published this uh, pretty lengthy article uh, you know some kind of investigative journalism piece you know that uh, folks are probably familiar with so it, it you know they spend a lot of time put a lot of effort into it and actually as far as reporting goes it's it's pretty well done but uh but i have some i have some additional thoughts about that so the piece is called overloaded how large capacity gun magazines are still being sold in colorado did you read this by chance matthew i did it's a very interesting article yeah. So, I mean, what was your take on this? Um, well, just in case the you know listeners haven't seen the article, basically it's uh, talking about the uh, magazine limit restriction um, uh, law that went in. How long ago is it? Six years? 
Uh, it was 2013. Okay. So, yep, six years ago. Yeah, now. so about six years. And more. and so this article uh, is an undercover reporter goes into several stores, gun stores in Colorado, across Colorado. And um, I don't know if it was just Denver area. You can talk to that. Uh, but All over the place. They went into the- a bunch all up and down the front range. And, I mean, like all the way from... Uh, the northern counties along I you basically if you follow I twenty or yeah, I twenty five, which is the major interstate that goes right through the center of Denver, they went to a bunch of different gun stores and shops and dealers and stuff, pretty much all along that I twenty five corridor from the north from Wyoming all the way down to Pueblo. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so he, he goes in and, and uh goes into these gun stores and is looking to see if he can buy uh high capacity or magazines of more than more than 15 rounds. Um, and so while he's in there, it's a, it's a big gamut from different, different, uh, uh, stores, but on the low end or on one end of the spectrum in some of these stores, it's like he overhears people, uh, some of the clerks saying, Hey, you know, we'll sell you uh, a magazine parts kit that you can put together on your own. Um, we can't sell the kit or the magazine completed because it's against the law for somebody to sell, manufacture, um, or purchase or possess, um, high capacity magazines. Right. So, um, so, and, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's people that are like, yeah, we got hundred round drums. We don't care. Uh, you know, sheriff told me it's, oh, it's good to go. And, and, you know, we sell them and we're not, we're not concerned about it. So you have all these different like stores kind of going through and saying, yeah, there is a, there is the law, the way the law is written is, is not very good because it doesn't say, you know, uh, you can't possess uh, a magazine or purchase a magazine or parts kit that would produce, you know, a magazine or, I mean, technically, I guess they could probably say you, you can't purchase a magazine tube that would hold 15 rounds and it would, you know, kind of, uh, you know, check that box. But basically what it is, it's a roundabout way of selling high capacity magazines or magazines that would be otherwise illegal to sell by saying, we're just selling parts to the magazines. And so, um, it's pretty interesting in its very in-depth article. Um, he tries to get some some feedback from the store owners, calls out, and, and none of the store owners really engage with him uh, as far as giving a statement on why they're doing what they're doing or why they think it's good or bad. It, it, I took From what I took from it, it, it I uh, personally, I think that selling a parts kit is fine. You sell a spring and a magazine follower and a magazine tube. I mean, you're not selling a 15 round magazine. I don't know. You know, there's no case law, I guess that has been challenged yet. I imagine there would be eventually. Um, but I just think it looks bad uh, for us as gun owners because it's kind of like these guys are saying, you know, we don't, we don't follow the law. We, we don't care. We found a loophole. We don't care, but not, and they're willing to say that to a customer, but they're not willing to be able to articulately or articulate their stance to a reporter and say, yes, this is why we believe what we're doing is correct. We're selling this, this, and this. If the law said something else, we would abide by the law, but the way the law is written, uh, we, we have no reason to think that otherwise that we couldn't sell these, you know, parts of magazines but they don't say that. And and that's right. where kind of like it, there, it's the conversation's only one side. You only hear one side. And so, um, 
yeah, that was kind of my, my, my take. It was, it was just kind of upsetting to see that not one of these stores could say, yes, this is why we're doing it. And we think what we're doing is right. It almost implied that they were doing something bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now let's be clear. Uh, one of the reasons this law was passed uh, was because of the Aurora theater shooting. Sandy hook also occurred not too long before that. So, politically, culturally, socially, you know, there was all this kind of, and I'm not saying this is true of everybody, but like we saw how things were reported in the media. There was this general mm, frustration and especially for mainstream media that, oh man, you know, these horrible things happen and and so we got to do something about it. And this was one of the things, by the way, along with the uh, magazine capacity limit law, passed in 2013 and it and just so it's clear in, in Colorado it, it it does prohibit magazines above or beyond 15 rounds right so 15 rounds is okay 16 rounds not okay at least according to how the law was written the other thing that was passed was universal so-called universal background checks and so that happened as well and supposedly both of these things are supposed to prevent another Aurora theater shooting from happening uh, now I wouldn't say that we've had another mass shooting quite to the extent or level of say Aurora theater. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't have happened. Uh, uh, you know, if anything, we, we've been probably lucky or whatever, you know, I don't know. Colorado is a bit of a hotbed. If you look at it, st- statistically speaking, uh, per capita, there's, there's more mass shootings here, particularly high profile ones than you know, other states or population centers that are, you know, of a, of a similar makeup, right? Um, I think some of that's Columbine. Columbine was such a, like an icon almost, you know, there's people that worship Columbine and the Columbine shooters and uh, people that come here to be a part of that weird counterculture, you know? So anyway, law was passed, supposed to fix stuff. Um, clearly it's, not making any significant difference in crime. In fact, crime, at least as I perceive it, has been unchanged and, if anything, arguably worse since the passage of this law. Not that we're seeing this. I'm not aware of anything that's where AR-15s or 30-round magazines or something are, you know, that prevalent in crime. They still aren't that prevalent, right? Statistically speaking, just like it is nationwide, Semi-automatic rifles and high so-called so-called high-capacity magazines. Let's be clear; these are standard capacity standard capacity magazines that have been outlawed here. Um, but uh, we're we're not, you know, there. This law was a bogus law in the first place, and was meant to fix things that weren't a problem in the first place, or fix things that can't be fixed at least by passing stupid laws like this. Um. So they didn't do a very good job of wording. I mean, arguably, I I don't have a problem with it, obviously. But um, the fact that they failed to craft the language in their bill in such a way that would prohibit people from selling parts of magazines and so forth uh, that could be used to make a greater than 15-round magazine. Here's, here's what's going to happen, though. Here's why we're talking about today. Uh, this is going to result, I'm fairly certain, 
Uh, I know for a fact this is a bill that is going to be hitting uh, our legislative session here in just a couple of short months where they're not just going to focus on fixing this so-called loophole. They're going to go a step further, and they're going to go from 15, and they're probably going to go to 10 rounds. I'm I'm 99% certain that that's where this is going. And I think the timing of the publishing of this article is extremely suspicious. I personally believe there's a hidden agenda here and why this is being published now. It's not like people didn't know about this three, four, five years ago. There are certain gun shops here in the Denver metro area that have never stopped selling greater than 15-round magazines. They went from one day we sold assembled 16-round magazines, and the next day we took the spring and follower out of the magazine body and stuck it in a package here, and we put the magazine body in a package here, and we sold them on the shelf next to each other. Yeah, to an anti-gunner, they're like, oh my gosh, wow, they just found this loophole and they're doing this nefarious thing. The reality is, is it was a stupid law in the first place, and we we're like, you know what? This doesn't keep us from being able to sell this part and this part, and you go and assemble it, like whatever, and it's unenforceable. Like, how do you prove when somebody bought these parts? How do you prove when somebody bought this magazine? You can't really prove it. The burden of proof is on the on is on the state. It's on the on the prosecution. That's the case anyway. But like, how are they going to prove that? I paid cash for it. I drove across the border to Wyoming. I paid cash for a magazine. And I brought it back with me. How are you going to prove that? Right? It's a dumb right. law. It's unenforceable. We've known that for a long time. And like, so what? Anyway, that's why I think the publishing of this article is is a little suspicious and the timing of it because it's – I think it, the timing of it is perfect to go along with. We want to – push public opinion in the direction of encouraging our lawmakers here in Colorado to fix this loophole and pass probably even more restrictive magazine limits. Yeah. Right. It, it, why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? Like it, that's the whole slippery slope or, you know, uh, death by a thousand cuts or whatever you call it. Right. Like you just continue to move, move it a little bit further each time, each time somebody, you know, seeds some, some ground. Okay. Well, we'll do this. And then they're not they're not pleased, yeah. and it, because that will not accomplish what their goal is, which is you know keeping you from having a firearm. Yep. All right, we should uh, actually now move along with our speed reload. All right, <laughs> Florida, Florida County first and state to enact sec to enact Second Amendment sanctuary in support of gun rights. We're seeing more and more counties and even cities, and in some cases states. Uh, passing these resolutions and different things saying that we are a Second Amendment sanctuary. You know what? And I think it's awesome. I think it's wonderful. Does it mean a whole lot? No, but hey, cool. And which county was that? I forgot already. Uh, I don't know. I no. closed it here. Hold on. I'm uh, Lake it back County. Up. Lake County, Florida. Lake County, Florida. A Second Amendment sanctuary. So Lake County sounds like a good place to be anyway. Yes, sir. All right. Next up. I kind of talk, touched on this a little bit earlier. Louisiana Governor, uh, what's his name? Edwards. Edwards. Governor John Edwards. Edwards. John Bell Edwards, Democrat, wants more control on gun shows in the form of expanded background checks. Um, okay, so basically, you know, and we we did that in Colorado here like almost 20 years ago, post-Columbine. Uh, the, a law was passed here in Colorado requiring background checks to be formed to be 
to be performed on gun sales at gun shows, even private party, right? So like occasionally you might have a person that is at a gun show and they're just trying to sell a personal firearm. Well, they created a mechanism where people can run through background checks uh, at gun shows here in Colorado, even with pr- private party transfers. And by the way, it's illegal for you to meet somebody, say, inside a gun show and be like, hey, cool gun, man. Yeah, you like it? Yeah, I'll tell you what, meet you outside after the gun show's over and we'll, we'll just do the deal in the parking lot. Like, that's illegal. You know, like, okay. Anyway, um, so Governor Edwards in Louisiana wants to pass a law that's similar. But AWR Hawkins, who does an amazing job reporting at Breitbart.com on gun-related issues, highlights all these different mass shootings and other violent crimes that have occurred where they were purchased completely 100% legally through a background check process. 27, 27 of them. Yeah. So... Again, what are we what are we trying to do with the universal background checks? Like, what problem are we trying to solve? Yeah, because I, I thought it was these all these you know mass shootings, Matthew. Like, you know, Las Vegas shooting happened, and there was all this you know public outcry about. Well, we got to have universal background checks. It's like, wait a minute, that dude like totally bought all these guns legally, passing background checks. Oh, there's the Sutherland Springs shooter. Like, we got uh, background checks, background check, back. Oh, wait, that guy actually passed a background check. Oh, but wait, the information in the background check system was not up to date. And, oh, see the problem? Yeah, and and the other problem, and it's stated in this article, uh, the DOJ study showed fewer than 1% of prisoners got their gun via gun show. So less than 1% of of prisoners got their gun via gun show. 36% say they stole their gun. This is like interviews with with, uh, people, you know, been, been arrested. So, I, I mean, I don't know the, these, this, when they throw out the gun show loophole and this kind of ties back into uh, the universal background checks, right? It's, it's what, what are we focused on? If we're focusing on the less than 1% and that's your solution, then it's not a solution, right? Um, yeah. It, it, it's just not a solution. It's political posturing that makes people feel good mm-hmm. and allows politicians to go, Hey, look what I did. Absolutely. Moving on, because we need to move on. Uh, Montana. Montana Supreme Court rules unanimously in favor of gun rights. So the city of Missoula, Montana, which is probably like the one city in Montana that's a little bit of a, well, Helena somewhat too, kind of a, we try to avoid terms like liberal and Democrat and things like that in this podcast, but they are um, not as gun friendly as uh, other parts of Montana. And the Missoula City Council passed an ordinance a couple years ago that criminalized all private firearm transfers in the city by requiring a background check for the sale or transfer of every firearm, including purchases at gun shows. The law provided few exceptions. And so a legal challenge was issued against this law, uh, challenging the city of Missoula, uh, and has worked its way through the courts. And finally, now it was appealed, and the Montana Supreme Court ruled unanimously <laughs> unanimously uh in the favor of the uh, of the challenger uh attorney which is state attorney general tim fox so uh missoula's law uh-uh, ain't gonna fly in the state of montana goodbye yeah good thing yep next up oregon 
And this reported on OregonFirearms.org from the Oregon Firearms Federation. <clears throat> Attorney General releases certified ballot title for gun lockdown measure. So basically, there's a, a ballot initiative, a ballot, you know, this is something that'll be put to the voters to vote on uh, in 2020. And what this is, is going to require you to store your guns locked. Uh, it has some very specific provisions. It also opens the door for liability so that if somebody gets a hold of your gun and uses it in a crime, then you're personally liable for that and, and the use of that gun in that crime. Um, and so we, we've seen certain, you know, similar things in California and New York and other jurisdictions across the country. I have, you know, big, big issues with these types of laws, uh, but this is coming to the state of Oregon. So if you're an Oregonian, Oregonian sounds better than Oregonian, (laughs) Oregonian. I like Oregonian. If you're an Oregonian, you need to be fighting against this ballot measure. Ballot measure 40, it is uh, called. Yeah, Uh, these these laws are like we say all the time, it might not be your state today, but these didn't just originate in Oregon, right? Washington, New York have similar laws on the books currently. So, yep. Yep. On to Virginia. Virginia, you know, so we just had, uh, you know, midterm election. Well, not midterm exactly, not the true midterms of like 2018, you know, but, but a, a midterm election of sorts. So 2019, we just had the November elections. And in Virginia, we saw the Virginia. It's not the House they call. What is it? The the uh, what's it called? What's it called? No General Assembly. There yeah. we go. Uh, the General Assembly and the Senate has swung to the Democratic Party, and you have a very well known anti gun governor, Ralph Northam. Okay, so basically, you have now what is believed to be a completely controlled. Uh, uh, government in the state. It's what we call a, a a trifecta, where you have the governor's seat, the House, and the Senate, essentially, or the equivalents of those, all controlled by one party. And that's a problem for pro-gun Virginians, because we already know... I knew this. As soon as I saw the re- election results on Wednesday last week for Virginia, I'm like, oh, snap. Gun control is coming to Virginia, and it will come with a vengeance because Governor Northam has just been relishing at the opportunity. He's already tried to do some things almost by executive, you know, uh, uh, order, you know, and and so, yeah, Virginians, I'm very very sorry, but the ver- the folks in Virginia. Now, I'm not saying our listeners in Virginia, but the folks of Virginia elected what will probably be a very anti-gun government uh, for the next at least year or two. That will be problematic. So, yeah. And even like Virginia is well known for their non-resident permit program where if you meet certain training standards and it can be accomplished through, I'm not saying this is ideal, but we do sell an online concealed carry training course that you can take and it does qualify you to apply for a non-resident permit in Virginia. I think that's actually nice to have. Okay. I'm not saying that that's ideal. I definitely believe in people getting training, but I'm also a big proponent of constitutional carry. But at least there's a mechanism where I've used the word mechanism a lot today. It's kind of funny. Uh, where people in states like New York 
or Massachusetts or New Jersey or whatever, you know, where it's difficult maybe to get a concealed carry permit. And, but yet, you know, you might travel to some of these other states where you could then carry concealed, you know, outside of your home state. And so you can get a non-resident permit and maybe have reciprocity in some of these other states that you might travel to and be able to carry concealed, which I think, you know, you should be able to do anyway, but you got to follow the law. So um, anyway, I'll bet you that non-resident permit program and reciprocity that Virginia has, I'll bet a lot of that just goes away here. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Oh, did I lose Matthew? I lost Matthew. He must have gotten bounced. So I will carry it on. Uh, Wyoming, got a story here out of Wyoming where Wyoming legislation rule against mental health and firearm bill. Wyoming state lawmakers ruled against a bill which wanted to prevent people with documented mental illnesses from buying firearms. The bill that was opposed by a 9-to-5 vote would have required the state to report mental illness adjudications to firearm dealers via the, by, via the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, the NICS database. Uh, so the current legislation says to possess a firearm that is manufactured commercially or privately in Wyoming that re- remains within the borders of Wyoming, a person shall not currently be adjudicated to be legally incompetent and not have been committed to a mental institution. According to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, Wyoming is currently last in the nation in terms of the number of disqualifying mental health records submitted per capita. To date, authorities in Wyoming have provided such records 13 times. But when a bill was brought forth uh, to maybe change some of this, uh, yeah, it was defeated. So, um, you know what? I, I totally understand the desire to not have crazy people running around with guns. Uh, that's, that's fair. Um, but at the same time, I exercise caution in how we might potentially further stigmatize mental illness and create, uh, what's the word? Unintended consequences, right? Uh, of things, you know, cause basically what, one thing that sometimes you might have is someone that needs to get mental health help. But because they're afraid that they will lose their gun rights, they might not seek that help. So this is a very difficult situation. Um, hi, Matthew's back. Hey, sorry, I didn't see you there, bud. Hey, sorry. Um, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, all, all good, all good. So, uh, but anyway, so just bringing the news to you, folks. Uh, you know, whatever you think about it, I don't know, but um, I just think it's interesting that the folks in Wyoming said, mm, yeah, we're not interested in uh, pursuing this at this time. So Wyomingites are, uh, they're very pro two gun or pro two a. So not surprising at all. All right. I think that's it, Matthew. Like you, you bugged out at the wrong time. I asked a <laughs> question, didn't notice that you got bumped and then was like, Hey, it's awkwardly quiet. Uh, so anyway, which is probably for the best because it forced me basically to wrap up the episode. We need to do our giveaway now. So right, right. So Matthew, I'm glad you're back in time to uh, be my my drum roller. I only have one <laughs> hand, man. I... <laughs> well, you, you know, figure it out. Figure All it right. out. You, you're, you're marine. Let me see if I can do this. All right, you ready the, to do? Hold, hold on, though. But real quick, we are announcing the winner of a TW350 Tacware flashlight. All right, so very exciting. 
All right, so do your best and give us your drum roll. That wasn't bad at all. Eh, it's all right. For a one-handed guy. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> Aaron S. Last name starts with the letter S. Aaron S. That is A-A-R-O-N S. Congratulations, Aaron, on win- being the winner of the TW350 Tactical Flashlight. Again, we remind everybody to sign up for the weekly giveaway at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And this next week is uh, we're giving away a free month to the Laser X software. So good deal. Yeah. And again, today's episode was made possible, brought to you by laserapp.com. Give them some love. And I'd encourage you to check out laserapp.com. Really, really awesome stuff. Uh, great training program, for especially, I mean, for me, I've always been a proponent of dry fire. I've done it pretty religiously for a number of years now. But Laser App sort of, it, it, it added a whole other dimension to my dry fire training. It's not like it's the thing that I use all the time. It's, I don't use, it's not my thing that I use solely for dry fire. It's a tool that I use at various times that is very beneficial that I enjoy using and actually helps just kind of mix things up with my dry fire, allows me to do some things that I can't do with normal dry fire. And so I love it. I, I love laser app, laserapp.com. Today's episode also sponsored by Guardian Nation. No surprise there, but guardiannation.com. We hope that you'll check it out and become a part of the nation. So with that, it's time to wrap it up and let folks go, Matthew. All righty. So we will do just that. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of this episode, for listening. If you have any questions or want to submit anything for as far as topics or questions, feel free to email us anytime, uh, podcast at concealedcarry.com. We'll do our best to get back to you or talk about your, your topic or question on, the, on an upcoming episode. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws. But things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.